Well, welcome in MCC family and everybody else who's joining us online today uh, for our Sunday gathering online, worshiping together. Um, We're experiencing what is our new normal. And what's cool about this is we're beginning to see us really hit our stride. It was awesome last week on Easter Sunday, not just to see MCC's feed and to see how the gospel went out and how uh, we had way more people than ever join in and watch online at MCC, but to see how that was happening all around the world and how the gospel uh, this past Easter was probably in front of more people than ever before in history on one given day. And I think that's something awesome to celebrate with the capital C Church. And today, as we're getting ready, Ready to dive in uh, to a new series. I want to invite anybody who's maybe coming in and they're new with us. So like you're new to MCC, you're new to this live stream stuff, and somebody shared this with you or invited you to check this out. I want to invite you to do this. In the description of this post, if you're watching on Facebook Live, uh, there's a link in there where you can fill out our Connect card, or it's pinned right there in the comment section. You can click on that, go and do that now. That's a great way for us to be able to get connected with you. We, we want to know a little bit of who, who you are, and we hopefully can let you know about who we are and what God's doing in and through us. If you're watching on YouTube, it's right there in the description of the video. You can click on that as well. For everybody else, we invite you to do just like you did last week. You guys crushed it in this. It's to like, comment, and most importantly, share the feed because when you share the feed, when you share this live live feed, what you're actually doing is you're sharing the gospel because that's going to be what is put on full display today as we dive into God's word. Hey, I want to start by asking you kind of a random question that I'm sure you probably have an answer to. The question is this, At some point in your life, have you had one of those things happen and it was one of those moments or occasions where you knew that after that thing happened, nothing was going to be the same. That like you in experiencing that had essentially kind of crossed the point of no return and things were not ever going to go back to what they used to be. That your life moving forward after this event or this thing happened was always going to be totally different. For some of you, maybe it was the day you got married and and, and you walk down the aisle, you get in the stretch limo, you go back to the hotel or your house or whatever, and you know in that moment, like, my life is different. I've got to share toothpaste. I've got to share everything. I've got to share a bathroom. I've got to learn how to spray after I, you know, go to the bathroom. I used to never do that. We, We have all these things that we know life is different after this. Maybe for you it was, it was having kids. And, and you had kids and you, you brought this, this little alien home from the hospital and you're like, what is this? And your life is never, ever going to be the same. Now things like boogers and, and spit up and um, you know, drama classes and, and ballet and, and little league baseball and all these things are a new part of your life and, and sleepless nights. Maybe for you it was something that was a less of a joyful experience and maybe for you it was, it was a time when you got divorce papers. Or you had that really hard conversation and you knew that after this moment, your life was going to be incredibly different. That something was ending. See, because new beginnings change our life for the better. Oftentimes, new endings, they hurt us. And oftentimes, those are things that, at least in the moment, they feel like they're taking our lives away. See, we all have these different things as a course of our lives go where, where something happens and we go, I Don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I'm pretty sure that life is not going to be the same after this moment. What is that moment for you? Think about it. Maybe you're like me, and you get this strange feeling 
that the moment we're in right now and the season we're in right now is actually one of those times. One of those times where we're experiencing something new right now. We're experiencing something different right now. And it is so new, it is so different, it is so strange that some of us, I think, having experienced some of that stuff in the past are kind of in this moment going, hey, this feels like that last time that something happened and nothing went back to normal after that thing happened. And I think through all this coronavirus stuff, maybe if if you're anything like me, you you find yourself going, man, I I may not be 100% sure on this, but I have this weird feeling that while I can't see fully about what life in the future is going to look like after we get through what is the coronavirus pandemic, I do feel like this is going to be one of those times where things don't go back to exactly like they used to look. And I think that's going to happen for you as an individual. Some of you, that's already become your reality. You've already uh, got let go of a job or you already experienced this financial stress or you've already experienced some pain through the season and you know like, I'm going to have a new career once this is all over it. I'm going to have you know, a new home after this is over it. Or I'm going to go have to take this car I bought back to the dealership because I can no longer afford this thing. You're going to have a new reality. But I think we're going to have a new collective reality. And I think we may even have a new church reality. And it's because of this that I wanted to dive into what we're going to be talking about today because I think we have found ourselves in this strange middle ground between something huge happening and then this cloud of uncertainty about what life is going to look like on the other side of it. And what's kind of fascinating is the time at which all of this has really hit. As most of you know, we got through last week celebrating Easter. And what's fascinating is if you know the story around Easter, you know that the week after Easter, the people who were Jesus' closest friends and followers, they were actually experiencing a feeling that was a lot like what we're experiencing right now. In the weeks after the resurrection, Jesus' followers were kind of like we are right now. And they were kind of going, man, we don't, like, yes, Jesus rose from the grave. Yes, he showed up to us. Yes, this thing has happened that is this big, huge event But we don't have any idea what this means, what the implications of our life is going to look like. And what's fascinating about this is a lot of times when we think about the resurrection, and we we preached these rah-rah sermons last week about how the resurrection solves everything, and the resurrection is the answer, and because of the resurrection, everything's going to be okay. But if you look at the lives of these people in this middle ground, which we are all too familiar with right now, in their middle ground... The resurrection actually probably caused more anxiety, more uncertainty, and a lack of clarity around what their future was actually going to look like. The, the picture of what their future actually looked like actually got foggy after the resurrection. You see even guys like Peter, you know, post-resurrection, they're like, what do I do? Like, do I go back fishing? Do, what, I mean, like half of them are, are going back to their old lives. And Jesus has to say, no, 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 let's, uh, let's get it all back together. And so the reason I wanted to to dive into this for us as a church is because throughout this book, throughout this thing that is the gospel of Acts that we're getting ready to dive into for the next six, seven, I I really don't know exactly how long we're going to be in here, but I felt led and compelled to go into this is because what I see happening in the gospel of Acts is Jesus, he meets his people in the midst of their confusion, their anxiety, and their lack of clarity and an uncertain future, and he gives them exactly what they need. 
Now, again, he gives them exactly what they need, but what he doesn't give them is this ticket to go back to business as usual. He gives them actually this gift. He gives them exactly what they need in this gift that will help them turn the world upside down. Turn the world upside down so much so that we're still experiencing the effects of the world being turned upside down by them receiving that gift some 2,000 years later right here, right now in the room that I'm in right now and in you in the sacred place that you're in right now. And that's why we're digging into the book of Acts. And I felt kind of compelled to, to go here. I had a whole another series planned out that we would do post-Easter. And I scrapped that all this week. So sorry if today sounds like a guy just rambling who doesn't make a lot of sense. Because a lot of this is really fresh in my own heart. But man, as, as a dad and as a husband and as a, someone who's a pastor in a church, I look around at what's happening right now. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I, I said maybe God allowed some of this to happen because the crowds had become a crutch for us as a church. And the crowd had become a crutch for us as followers of Christ. And we kind of just lived and depended off what was happening. But I, I had this thought when I was beginning to think about you as the people who are part of MCC. And really just all of us as collectively as Christians. And it was this. If someone was to take you as a follower of Christ. And you were to be picked up and put in a foreign country. A foreign country where it was illegal to be a Christian. And, and you didn't know anybody. You didn't know any, any other churches that you could go to. You didn't know, you know, you couldn't go online and Google best churches in, you know, hostile territory, best churches in Iraq, best churches in, in Hong Kong. But you couldn't go find those types of things online. What would happen to your faith if you were put somewhere where you couldn't go to a building and hear a guy talk for 30 or 45 minutes and your kids couldn't go into some room with cool, colorful cartoons and things and, and cool videos with owls that tell them about Jesus. What would happen to your faith and your family's faith if you were somewhere where you couldn't come to a building? Would you, would you know where to even begin in this thing that is the Bible? Would you know like, how, how to start? Would you know how to pray? And, and, and would you be able to, to be able to actually lead and teach? And, and what would happen to your faith? And see, this is, this is kind of where I, I, I feel this pressure of going, I don't know if we as God's people really know how to be the church and understand what has been given and deposited into us. And instead, we just got so used to coming into environments where one person's embodiment and display of the Holy Spirit in their life was just put on display. And we missed out on the fact that the Holy Spirit is alive and active inside of every single one of us. And it's given to every single one of us so that we can connect with a real living Jesus. And that's why I wanted to dive into the book of Acts. And so if you got a Bible, you can go ahead and go to Acts chapter 1. That's where we're going to spend all of our time in Acts chapter 1. As you're getting there, let me explain some things about Acts to you. The book of Acts, not Acts, but Acts. So there's a guy, his name's Luke, and he's the one who's writing uh, this book called Acts. And, and Luke was a physician, he was a doctor. Uh, Luke actually wrote um, Luke 
and Acts, the Gospel of Luke and Acts. He wrote them essentially to be uh, one volume in kind of two parts. So it's kind of, you, you have the, the Gospel of, of Luke, and that's really where he went and was an investigative journalist into the life of Jesus. And he got eyewitness testimonies from people who were Jesus' relatives, who were Jesus' closest friends, who were people who were bystanders of Jesus, and, and saw what had actually happened. That's the Gospel of Luke. And then you have Acts, and it's the same deal, an investigative-style, journalistic approach to getting true eyewitness accounts of what was happening, not in Jesus' life per se, but in Jesus' life lived out in and through his followers. And he was writing it for this rich guy named uh, Theophilus, and he's essentially been uh, given money to go and, you know, for this uh, Gentile uh, guy who was curious about Jesus to go and write a true account, not a made-up story, but an eyewitness journalistic testimony about what was actually going on with this man Jesus and then what happened with his followers. So that's Luke and Acts, all right? I'm going to read Luke I mean Acts chapter 1 through 11, and we're going to dive in uh, to God's Word today. If you got a Bible, hopefully you're already there. If you're not, too bad. Let's read. Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, again, that's who Luke is writing to, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until that day, he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Verse 3, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or date that the Father has set by his own authority. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before them and their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking up intently at the sky where he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same way that Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Church, this is the word of God. Let's pray, and let's see uh, what it has for us today. Jesus, we love you. We, we thank you for the simple fact that we as your people can come around your word and have it speak deep into our hearts. Father, I pray for all those who are listening under the sound of my voice today, God, that they wouldn't hear uh, things that are just in my head or things that have just uh, been through my study, but they would hear things from your word. God, you are a real, living, active Father, and you have sent your Holy Spirit to be all over this world, to be through Uh, fiber optic cables shooting out all over the planet so that your people can gather around your word and those God who who have no idea even who you are as Lord and Savior can by the the power that is in your word can come to know you we pray that that happens today in your name amen all right so 
when we get ready to dive into the books of book of Acts, like I've got to lay some ground rules for the book of Acts. Okay, uh, the first thing is that you got to understand about the book of Acts is this is your history. Like uh, a lot of people get really gung ho about um, family lineages, and there's that whole thing where you like get DNA tests and spit in a thing and send it off, and they tell you all your family history that you're from Zimbabwe or you're from Ireland or whatever. Here's the deal: if you want to know where your family history really starts, the the true family that you're a part of the royal priesthood that you belong to, the true family of born-again believers that those of you who have accepted Christ belong into. This story right here is the key story in your family history of how your family of faith began. I think this is beautiful to lean into and to know all about. And so this is our story, friends. Another thing that you got to know in the book of Acts, and we're going to see these happen all throughout the course of here. In the book of Acts, there are a lot of miracles. There are a lot. There's plenty of miracles. But what I want you to know off the bat is that the miracles in the book of Acts are not the point of the book of Acts. Because here's the deal. Miracles were never enough and could never be enough to sustain and anchor our faith. The only thing that's capable of sustaining and anchoring our faith is Jesus. And I could argue all day long with that. A lot of people, like, maybe you're listening to this and you're skeptical about faith, and you'll be like, man, if I could just see a miracle, then I would believe in Jesus. If he would just heal my sick friend, or if he would just do this, or he would just make corona go away, I would believe in him. Here's the deal. That happened all throughout Scripture. There was miracle after miracle after miracle. Uh, if, if a group of people, just like me and you, parted, uh, uh, watched God part the Red Sea, walk across on dry land, and then a couple months later were melting down all of their gold and making a golden calf and throwing a rager party, getting hammered and worshiping a golden idol, I think we're silly to believe that if we could just see one more miracle, it would be all we need to really believe in Jesus. And on top of that, when we go into the book of Acts, there are going to be things that we see here, and a bunch of different scholars have, have gone a bunch of different routes to try to pick, pick out, okay, is the book of Acts something that is totally prescriptive, in, in that it's a prescription, that like everything that you see in here is what we should be doing as a church. We should be meeting in homes, we should be giving like this, we should be selling things like this, we should be uh, you know, having rules and regulations like this, this gender should do this, just gender should not do this. Everything in the book of Acts is prescriptive. There are some people who would say everything is prescriptive. How it is written is how we should do it if we want to be the church. There's another camp of people who go, hey, this is not prescriptive, this is descriptive. So this is just kind of a way that they were saying, hey, here's how we did it. Uh, use the Holy Spirit to inspire you and show you how you should do it. I think both of those categories, if you swing all the way one way or all the way the other way, both, I think, are wrong. If we're truly going to be able to figure out what Acts is really speaking into us, we've got to understand that there are going to be some things that are prescriptive and there are going to be some things that are descriptive. And I'm going to do my best to help us see what those things are as we journey through. All right? All right. All that. Now let's get into verse 1. Verse 1 says this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up into heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. All right, let's dive into verse 3, okay? This is, this is one of the key verses where we're going to start. Let's follow along here in verse 3. It says, After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave them convincing proofs if you're underlining stuff con underline convincing proofs that he was alive so post-resurrection 
what we see is Jesus going to the apostles, going to them, walking into a room where, where, where Thomas had not been there the last time he showed up. And Thomas, again, he gets known as being the doubter. Thomas is like, I'd have to see the nails in his hand. I have to see the, thorn, you know, the, the scar on his side to really believe that he was there. And he shows back in, he shows Thomas all those things that he was after. He, he appears to the disciples. He has another miraculous catch of fish. He reinstates Peter and puts him um, based off of his confession of who he is as a guy who would be a primary leader in the church. He does all these things. And one of the things I want to uh, draw your attention to, you can flip there. It's not going to be on the screen. Uh, but also what Jesus says in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. He says, to this group of guys, and this is, this is before the story we're getting ready to dive into, he says, I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. See, what he's talking about there is he's talking about them receiving the Holy Spirit. And again, I still think they're pretty like in the dark on what's even going on. They're still really afraid. They're still kind of terrified. And you got to understand that that's, that's what was going on here in these guys' lives until they were able to receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what we're going to really be diving into today to understand who the Holy Spirit is and how he works in our lives. And so if you're taking notes, there's kind of already like a ready-made outline in this passage that we're going to walk through. And it's understanding the presence, the power, and the purpose of the Holy Spirit. The first thing we're going to dive into is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, you're not going to see the Holy Spirit like on display and show up in this passage. But what you are going to see is Jesus teaching them why they need to be in the right place to receive it. And how the Holy Spirit, because of who he is, impacts them and changes them and gives them the hope that they need to be able to live out this life in the midst of anxiety, confusion, and fear to walk in the mission that Jesus has actually given them. So if you, if you jump in to verse 4 you see what's going on here verse 4 it says this on one occasion while they were eat, while he was eating the, with them he gave them this command he said do not leave jerusalem but wait for the gift my father has promised all right this is kind of a big deal he, he says don't leave jerusalem wait for the gift that my father has promised and you have heard me speak about now again you got to understand the climate that these guys were living in right now. They had just seen Jesus put on a cross, crucified. Now, yes, he had risen from the grave. But it's kind of one of those things like when you were a kid, and maybe you were in high school, and, and you were at a place, maybe you were at a party you weren't supposed to be at, or you were somewhere, and like either the parents came home before they were supposed to, or you got way too loud, and the cops showed up, and like... Once the authority figure stepped in and you knew there was a threat of getting in trouble, what did everybody do? Scatter! And like everybody took off and they ran as fast as they could. No matter, you know, everybody left, drop everything, forget everything, leave everything behind and run as fast as you can away from the place where potential trouble is. And so when Jesus says to these guys, stay in Jerusalem, he's essentially saying to them, my father has a gift for you my father has something that will be a gift that will actually be the cure to all the anxiety and all the fear that you're facing right now i know the fact that i'm here it gives you a little bit of encouragement because here's the deal guys man if if i'm following a guy 
who says he, he's got this new agenda, he's doing this new thing, and he is murdered, and then he comes back to life. Like, I'm rolling with him. Like, I'm like, this guy's on my team. He beat death. I don't have to be afraid of anything. If he can beat death, like, who am I afraid of? But that's actually not the case with these guys. And they're still intimidated. They're still fearful. And Jesus says, go back to Jerusalem. Don't go home. For home, a lot of these guys, it was Galilee. He says, don't go to Galilee. Go back to Jerusalem and stay there. It's as if Jesus is saying a word that we're all too familiar with right now. He essentially tells them to shelter in place in Jerusalem and wait for the gift that the Father will give them. Now, we're on the other side of this, and we know that that gift was actually the Holy Spirit. That the best thing that they could ever receive, they were getting ready to receive. And Jesus told them, go shelter in place in Jerusalem, and you'll receive the best thing that's ever happened to you. And so what I want to ask you, in the midst of your shelter in place, in the midst of the increased downtime, in the midst of more time at home, more uh, time away from the hustle and bustle and potentially the busyness that is life, what if in the same way that Jesus told these men to shelter in place so that they could receive the gift of an encounter with the Holy Spirit, what if, Jesus would want to use your shelter in place to do the very same thing. Maybe even now you begin to ask Jesus to do that. That in the midst of your shelter in place, like these guys experience, that you would begin to experience more of who he is, more of the Holy Spirit, that it would ha- you would have an encounter with it that would change. And it would be something that you would be different from that moment forth. And we go on in this passage He tells them not to leave, and I want you to understand here, in regards to the presence of the Holy Spirit being active and potentially with these guys in that moment, it means that when we as God's believers, when we have this Holy Spirit of God, which is is Jesus' Spirit sent into our lives, that means that, that God, true God, is actually with us. See, one of the reasons why Jesus told these guys to go back to Jerusalem was because up until that point, everyone believed and recognized, and if you asked any person, whether they were Gentile or Jew, where is the presence of God at right now, up until, you know, before the Holy Spirit came, if you asked them where is the presence of God right now in this moment, everybody would say it's at the temple in Jerusalem. And so Jesus is saying to these guys, I need you to go to Jerusalem because here's the deal, fellas. The presence of God, the spirit of the living God is getting ready to transfer from a temple into my team, into you guys, so that this movement that I'm starting will not be centrally located, but this movement that I'm starting will be God's spirit, God's presence inside of every single one of you. And church, this is what I love. This is what brings me hope about us being displaced from one building right now, that the living God inside of you, inside of me, is actually out there in the streets, in the homes. And I believe that God can work through this because I saw him work through this. And the reason you're even hearing from me right now is because he did that very thing. You know, a lot of times at Christmas, we all love Christmas Jesus, right? Like baby Jesus and his, you know, his beautiful little golden fleece diaper and in the manger and all these other types of things. But here's the deal. In Christmas time, we call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
But oftentimes we forget that he truly is God with us outside of Christmas. Like that's his name and he really is in his Holy Spirit. God with us in the moment. And I think so many times it's easy just to not live like God is living inside of us. Because here's the deal. And I think sometimes we get really confused on this. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you receive his life, you receive all of the Holy Spirit. You, you don't get a little bit that when you get yourself together and you do a little bit better, you get a little bit more. When you receive the Holy Spirit, he doesn't come in halfway, he comes in all way. And what I want you to understand here is that for many of us, we have never tapped into the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I think that's why so many of us don't live lives that match up with a lot of the powerful, amazing, miraculous things that we see in the book of Acts. And my hope is that as we dive into this, we may find that more and more. There's a, there's a verse, verse five is, is where Jesus begins to talk about what this is gonna look like. And he says in Acts 1.5, he says, for John, he baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, I think we hear that, and again, for, the, for a lot of us, like, we're already kind of freaked out by the Holy Spirit. We're like, I get God the Father, cool with that. God the Son, cool with that. I really wish the other one was just like God the Word, and it was just like this Bible thing, and I could just treat this as if it was God, and, and I'd be good there. But God the Spirit, that's kind of weird. Like, he blows as the wind goes, and he knows my thoughts, and he's, and he's in me and on me and all these other types of things. And, and, and it's this kind of um, God that we have a hard time getting our minds around because we can get a father because we have fathers. We can get sons because some of us are sons and some of us have sons and everybody knows somebody's son. But the spirit thing is a little confusing. And so he comes and he says, you will be baptized by the spirit. And I wanna do the best that I can to help you understand what that actually means. So here, here's what I believe. I believe when you accept Christ, you are, are given the Holy Spirit. That his spirit comes into your life and that's what equips you to no longer live your old life, but actually it's his life being lived through you. But what we see through the gospel of Acts, or through the book of Acts rather, sorry, is, is that God's people continue to see the Holy Spirit move and work in big ways in their life. And what's happening in that is the Holy Spirit moves in these big ways because the Holy Spirit continues to outpour and outpour and outpour. And the best way that I can communicate this to you is it's, is it's like this. It's like a father. God the Father. And for most of us, our lives having given the Holy Spirit, it's as if we are walking now hand in hand with the Father. And the Spirit is the things that keeps those hands touching. And refuses to let those hands go. And along life's journey, as we're walking with this father, from time to time, that father startles us and picks us up. Like some of you dads or some of you mothers do with your kids. You're just walking along. And then every now and then, just out of the love you have for that child, you pick that child up. You hold him in your arms. You spook him a little bit. And you just wrap him in your arms. Maybe you kiss him on the cheek. And you let them know how much you love them. And then you set them away from you. You put them back down. And you continue to walk. And that's what I believe it's like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
Because all of these guys at this point, they had already put their faith in Christ. They already believed who he was. But Jesus was still saying, I am promising you that there is a greater outpouring of the Holy Spirit that you are getting ready to receive that blows your mind as unlike anything you've ever experienced. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous theologian and author, he wrote about it like this. It's the best way I've heard it expressed and he he he's he the one who uh, helped me understand this in the eyes of a uh, as god the father holding the hands of his child he said it like this the fuses of love are so overloaded overloaded that they almost blow out the subconscious doubts that he wasn't thinking about at the time but that pop up every now and then then they are gone and in their place is utter and indestructible assurance so that you know that you know that you know that God is real and that Jesus lives and that you are loved and that to be saved is the greatest thing in the world and as you walk down the street you can scarcely contain yourself and you want to cry out my father loves me my father loves me oh what a great father I have what a great father I have see guys that's that's what it means to experience moments where we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I, I, I believe that that is not just something that happens once. That this is something that the Holy Spirit has on display for us as we continue to walk with our Father. Those moments where it is as if the fuses of our hearts are about to burst with love for our Father. This passage goes on and talks about this this presence and this um, power that we get to experience. In verse 6, it says the guys, they, they hear him talk about this, and they gather around him, and they ask him a question. They say, Lord, are you, are you going to uh, restore the kingdom to Israel? And they're, they're going, okay, so like, we're still stuck on this thing of you being a king Jesus. Like, are you going to like now like get a horse and a throne and all this other type of stuff? Again, they still are confused. They still don't understand what their future in Christ looks like. In verse 7 and 8, Jesus makes it abundantly clear, maybe not to them in the moment, but to us, knowing the full picture, we get a chance to see actually what's going on here. Verse 7 and 8, this is what it says. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The second thing, again, that I want to walk you guys through is that when God's Holy Spirit comes, we got to understand that that is where we find ourselves in the presence of that Holy Spirit. The second thing is when it enters in our presence, it brings its power. The Holy Spirit is there and the power comes with him. And here's the deal. For many of us right now, in regards to power, Man, a lot of us, if you're anything like me, you feel pretty powerless right now. Like you feel like you can't control hardly anything. You can't control how your kids are acting. I mean, they're just going crazy. You can't control what your accounts are doing. You can't control what coronavirus is doing. You can't control you know, where you can go, where you can't go. Um, that's kind of the life we live in this season. And one of the things that I've learned in this life is that when the demand on you exceeds the resources in you, you burn out and you check out. I'll say it again. You write this down because this is a life principle that you need to understand. Is that when the demand on you exceeds the resources in you, you burn out and you check out. 
And this is where I want some of you to know, this is, this is why I talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got to understand that the power of the Holy Spirit is inside of you. And some of you are trying to operate on your own abilities. You're trying to operate on your own ability to manage emotions, your own abilities to manage all the things that you're feeling and thinking and what your kids are doing, everybody else. And I want you to understand that you have this resource of the Holy Spirit, of Jesus Christ, active and living inside of you. And here's what maybe you don't understand, that it took me a really long time to grasp this. As someone who's dealt with um, abandonment issues and wanting just to have uh, people close to me who I really knew that cared about me and to be able to feel that and to experience that, here's something that I've learned that I hope gives you hope. And it's this. The Holy Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. The Holy Spirit is better inside you than it would be to have Jesus beside you. I know that may be hard to swallow right now because you're like, man, if Jesus was just here, like if I could just, you know, see his long hair, see the scars in his hands, see, see the, the scars on his side, uh, it would, everything would be okay. Here's the deal. He is. If you have put your faith and your trust and your hope in Christ, he is a source for you right now in the midst of everything that you're going through. He wants to supply everything that you need to you. And it's available. The power to get out of the sin that you're in, it's available. The power to experience peace, it's available. That's why there's these things called the fruits of the Spirit. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the self-control, the gentleness. All those things that we desperately need, they are all available to us through the Holy Spirit. And the good thing is, is if Jesus was beside you, do you know who he wouldn't be able to be beside? Anybody else. See, this is what's amazing about the Holy Spirit. It gives God the ability to be everywhere at once. It gives God the ability to be inside, moving and active and living through every human life through which he has indwelled. And that's amazing. And it's amazing that God will pick people like me and you to go and do his mission through. Which leads me to the last part here is... We've walked through the presence of the Holy Spirit and we've talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to talk to you about the purpose of the Holy Spirit. You know, dive back into the last half of verse eight. He says, it will come upon you in power and then it says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The reason, friends, that we have the Holy Spirit is to be witnesses. See, it's when the power of God fills the people of God, they are empowered to live out the purpose of God. And my hope and my prayer is that as we dive into the book of Acts, we would understand that we have been given this Holy Spirit to be God's witnesses. And he didn't say, and you will be my evangelists. He didn't say, and you will be my theologians. He didn't say, and you will be my pastors. He didn't say, and you will be my directors. He said, and you'll be my witnesses which honestly, you guys should give us all a chance to just take a deep, deep breath and go, God's not waiting for me to be more outgoing before he uses me. God's not waiting for you to have a degree before he uses you. He's not waiting for you to have anything other than a testimony of how you, he took you from point A to point B and you being able to say that to someone else. That's all you have to have to use you. That's you being a witness. That's you testifying to what he's done in your life. And he says, 
the purpose of you having this Holy Spirit, the purpose of my church having this Holy Spirit inside of every single one of you is to go be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And we're going to learn about how that happened in Jerusalem. We're going to see the gospel then go to Judea. And then we're going to see it go to Samaritans all the way out into the ends of the earth, even to where we're at right now. And I can't wait to dive into this with you. You can read ahead. You can dive into the book of Acts. And I love the fact that he doesn't say anything other than you will be. It's like it's not even an option of whether or not you're going to be his witness. And so for some of you right now, I just want to look you eye to eye and encourage you. Like we, I was praying about this before we, we started the message today. Um, I think some of you are feeling more and more pressure to be a spiritual leader in your home right now. And if you're watching this and that is a pressure that you're feeling, let me just affirm that I, I do believe that pressure is, is coming to you from God. I think that's the Holy Spirit uh, revealing that he does need you to step up. He does need you to lead in a different way. In the absence of being a part of a church gathering, he needs you to gather your family, to gather even maybe some of the friends in your life. If you're watching this, you're a high schooler, like, man, text your, your, your buddies. Hey, uh, guys, read John chapter 3 and like let's Zoom call and talk about what John chapter 3 even means. See, God is calling us to step up, to understand that the Holy Spirit is inside of us. And here's something I want to encourage you with. This is, this is the last thing from me, is this. Don't let what you should do keep you from what you can do. I think so many times we get frustrated with all the things that we should do, and we get beat ourselves up, and we get shamed because we should be doing this, and we should be doing that, and we should be doing that. Look, don't worry about all that stuff. Focus on what you can do. Because you got the Holy Spirit inside of you. And trust God with the rest. Pray, expect him to come and move in power. Believe he will. Ask him to, and he will. That's what he does. That's what he wants to do. Today, um, we're going to end our time together by, by entering into communion. And what's powerful about communion is, is now, for those of us who are believers, we have this chance to, through the Holy Spirit alive and active in us, to be able to go to God in a, in a way where we have unblocked access for him to hear from us and us to hear from him. And communion is what made that way. And so I invite you uh, to go ahead and, and grab what you need for communion. I'm going to do the same. read you verse 8 of Acts one more time. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes